headlines like this a sign of what's to come. Six months of record-breaking temperatures have fueled massive forest fires in the Siberian Arctic this year. As the world has warmed, so the ice in Vatnajökull has melted faster and faster. Researchers say they were horrified when they discovered that for the first time, mass bleaching had affected the Great Barrier Reef in consecutive years. In our fifth episode of This is Europe, we'll be hearing from Europeans at the vanguard of the continent's fight for a more sustainable future. As the EU pushes towards its goal to be carbon neutral by 2050 as part of the new European Green Deal, the transition to a circular economy is crucial. Moving beyond the traditional linear economic model of make, use and then dispose, a circular economy keeps old or broken goods in use through repair and reinvention. Under our current systems of production, annual waste generation is forecast to increase by 70% by 2050. So what can we do to bring it down to zero instead? We're going to hear from two projects showing how we can make a start. But just before that, here's Kate Rayworth, economist and author of Donut Economics on why the shift to a circular economy is so important. 20th century progress, we were told, shows up as endless economic growth. GDP rising year on year on year on year, no matter how rich a country already is. We're told its success lies in yet more growth. There has to be an absurdity in that. And the absurdity of that is we find ourselves here in the 21st century witnessing much of the death of the living world. And economists will say, well, that's an environmental externality. To me, that is an alarm bell that that model does not serve us or our times. With this in mind, we turn to our first story and a group of circular economy champions. Across the plains of the continent's northern periphery, some very forward-thinking Europeans are working together to prove how businesses can both dramatically cut their waste production and profit from doing so. And they're working with something that it would be a shame to waste – alcohol. One of my colleagues was in a whiskey course in one of the retreats here in Finland. And she was not that interested in making whiskey as she was interested in what they do with the waste from the whiskey industry. This is Egedira Rainosalo of the Centria University of Applied Sciences in Kokola in Finland. Working with her curious colleague, Egedira is tackling the problem of waste made through the whiskey making process. She and her colleague realized that it was a problem everywhere. Additionally, we thought that it would be very useful to expand it to the other food and beverage industries, like, for example, to potato industry and to the fish industry, and to see if the problems are the same, and also to see if we can use the same technological approach to all of them and get the better value and not to call any more the side streams as a waste streams, but to have use of them in the more efficient way. Egedira is now project manager at Symbioma, an interreg project that is partnering with small businesses across Scandinavia to turn their waste into something reusable. And in the beer industry, one of the biggest waste products is spent grain, wheat that is left over from the brewing process. It's something that Matthias Bergström, co-founder of Swedish beer brand Bottenvikens Brigeri, sees a lot of. All breweries basically, it doesn't matter if you're big or small, but typically what you do with your spent grain is you throw it away as trash. It's more of a nuisance, so <laughs> we just want to get rid of it, because when you start a 
business, you focus on your main product. And for us, that probably was beer or experiences such as beer tastings and that type of thing with the main product. It's not a focus of a small business to look at other business opportunity that might be something interesting in the long run. It's more of having sort of, we need to focus on what we're actually doing and that's the main main product that you have or the main service that you provide. Matthias has a background as a scientific researcher and that's why he was put in touch with Symbioma. Together, they've been working on ways of valorizing the large amounts of spent grain his brewery produces. Matthias says that without the project, he would never have thought about making his business more circular in this way. It's a bit far out there for a small company to think about these things. But with this project, I mean, we got time to do that. And, and we also get the opportunity to bounce our ideas off of other companies and of researchers and sort of think about how we can actually make other business out of side stream in the brewery. One particularly far out there idea they've had success with is feeding the spent grain, which is still packed with carbohydrates, to mealworms. The mealworms are in turn sold as chicken feed to local farmers, turning what was once just a nuisance waste product into a valuable commodity. But that's not all. The mealworms need heat to grow, so instead of using further energy to keep them warm, they're placed next to some of the hundreds of data centers dotted across the region, which emit residual heat. Ingenious. It's all part of the work of project partner Eleanor Emilson of the Research Institute of Sweden. When you think about it, your computer gets hot, or my computer is hot just by recording this podcast by the data centers. Every time you log into social media or check your emails, it's stored somewhere and in alluvial or arctic conditions, it's good conditions to build data centers because we have long cold winters and you want that because you want the cold air to be pumped through the servers basically to cool them. But that also produces a lot of waste heat. So this waste heat could potentially be seen as a resource, but it's not at the moment. Based in rural Norbotten, Sweden, Elena says that for her, keeping these practices local is one of the key aims of this project. If we want to make a circular economy, we need to be better at using local waste streams. So that was why we picked the spent brewery grain, because we happened to have this brewery just one kilometer from where we were. And then we had all the waste heat very close to us. And then the mealworms would make something that is waste and just carbohydrates into protein, like high valuable protein that are on the same par as soybeans. So we would not need to import soybeans. And also chicken feed is not produced in Norrbotten. So if we had a local insect farm, we could produce chicken feed or human food from insects, not adding anything else to the system. And that is kind of the definition of sustainable, right? That it sustains itself. (laughs) Symbioma is helping to keep this work local through the technology innovation platform it is building. Small businesses can log into the platform and receive instant advice and networking resources to help make their operations more circular. For Matthias, it has already provided further opportunities to make his and other local businesses more sustainable. That's something that we have found, like Kalix Sylt 
They produce jams, they produce juices out of blueberries and juices out of lingonberries and other berries up here. And we are using one of their side streams, which is basically, because they press these berries and what's left is actually the shell of the berry. And that's something that we are using actually in our beers. And it works really, really well because you get sort of the essence of the berry into the beer. But for them, that's considered waste. And that makes us wonder sort of who wants our side product and what can they make after those. But while there are clear benefits from circular economy practices like this, both for businesses and the environment, Matthias says that projects like Symbioma are crucial to instigating the process. It is a high-risk effort to, to look into because you can spend quite a lot of time, don't see a business opportunity into that. And for a small business, you don't have time actually to do that. You need some lubricant. You need some money to be able to do that. And I think Symbioma is a perfect example of how to actually get money into small businesses and funding them to be able to explore this. And without those funds, I mean, you focus on what gives you money and that's your core business. I think that's a really, really important part. If you want to have a society that are more sustainable, that has aspects of circular economy into it, that actually take a social responsibility and sort of reduces the carbon footprint. I mean, this is the way to go. There are other challenges in developing these circular economic practices, though. Kate Rayworth thinks that one particular problem is regulation. Today's regulations have been based on an old mindset of economics. For example, we have competition law that says you cannot collaborate or any collaboration looks like collusion. When actually, if we're going to create a circular economy, collaboration and connection is the foundations of creating that circularity. I've spoken to companies large and small across Europe that say actually this is getting in the way of us collaborating with the ecosystem within our industry. We need to work together. And actually, it's now the role of the state, whether it's at the city or national or regional level, to bring us together and say, you are the metal sector or the electronic sector or the plastic sector. You need to create an ecosystem of use and reuse and refurbishing and redesign. And this has to work together. So it's crucial to recognize that some of the legislation and regulations that are in place today are based on old thinking that's actually stopping the new economy from emerging. Having seen the huge opportunities offered by the circular economy, thanks to Symbioma, Matthias also thinks more needs to be done to encourage this sort of cooperation and collaboration between different businesses and sectors. Usually there's a couple of people doing all things from across what, what you're doing in your business. And then adding on that kind of uh, a bit of EU bureaucracy is sometimes really, really daunting. And keeping it as simple as possible, uh, I think that's the way to go if, if you want to target and sort of get more small businesses on board with larger EU projects and, and getting funding to, to these, these small businesses. I think that's a key point to actually make it as simple as possible for them to participate. For Eleanor, now the founder of a startup looking into other potential uses of data center heat, the initial move to a more circular economy is likely to be the biggest challenge. It's important to just start somewhere because I think that it's a lot of talking about circular economy and all the good ideas, but it's not so many people actually doing it. And I think it's because you're so afraid of making it worse <laughs> than it already is or afraid of breaking laws or afraid of taking risks or develop something new because Honestly, I am a little tired of all the big ideas or the big 
talks because if you, if something starts or you have a momentum, it's easier to keep going. But it's the first little kick on the snowball that is the hardest one. And hopefully this project is this little snowball kick so that it starts starts rolling. Having started the ball rolling with his own business, Matthias is now looking for even more ways to make the brewery more circular for the long term. For us, uh, Symbioma set the focus more on the circular economy and helped us in some of the business choices that we've had recently. One being that we, we actually moved from glassware and glass bottles to aluminum cans and seeing how the carbon footprint of those is much, much better than the glass bottles that we had. So that's one of the things that sort of permanently changed the business. We are also looking more into what can we do with our side streams and sort of seeing business opportunities with that. And I think that's something that wouldn't have happened without Symbioma. This is Europe. This is Europe. The podcast from the Interreg team, telling the stories of cooperation across borders and within communities. Well, good luck to Matthias, Elena and Egedira in their quest to bring a more circular way of thinking to our lives and work. For our next story, we're heading south, from the rural expanses of Scandinavia to Austria and the alpine city of Innsbruck. I am doing this uh, upcycling studio since seven years now. I started straight after the university. I started to use old wooden boxes, old bottles, old wooden furniture. And I started to furnish a couple of bars and restaurants and it worked out well. So I decided, okay, I continue with that. This is Johannes Munk. Like some of the other Europeans we've already heard from, he has a much more circular way of thinking than most. It was quite funny in the beginning when I pick up the phone and... The people couldn't even spell the word upcycling. Okay, how is it spelled? A, B or... <laughs> I said, no, it's U, B, C. So that was funny. Upcycling was once a small community, but Johannes says the movement is now growing fast. There's a lot of startups to build some small products out of waste. Um, there's a couple of them here in Innsbruck making uh, speakers out of old boxes, travel cases, and another one they're doing sunglasses out of old snowboards and old skateboards. So it's this playful attitude what helps them to get into this topic and they just stick to it because people love it. Johannes's own playful attitude was what first got him involved with Surface an Interreg project installing reuse and upcycling studios in towns and cities across East and Central Europe. Given there were already a number of reuse and upcycling studios in Austria and Central Europe, Johannes, who became project manager, came up with a slightly different idea. Austria, Germany and Slovenia already got a lot of facilities for reuse. So our idea was more to get a smart version of this reuse park so we decided to make a digital one as a platform with a map and a catalog of actions you can do in terms of reuse. We needed to connect all these reuse facilities in Austria so they can communicate easier and find a way to get these reuse objects, these reuse products out of the waste stream. The project worked with the philosophy that recycling is silver, but reuse is gold. 
Claudia Schultz of Surface's project partner ATM tells me that in this spirit, the online platform has a particularly apt name. We called it Normal. Yeah, and Normal is probably a bit <laughs> weird for in, in English uh, because it's a German or like a Tyrolean dialect uh, and means once again. So actually the motto of this platform and of Normal is to take or use it once again. Also nimm's nochmal her. This is the main aim of Normal to make actions and agents and services visible and mainly has a map and of course adapts to your location from where you log in and on the maps you have different categories like you can say okay I want to share something or I want to donate something or I want to rent something you can also search for different things you're searching for like books or furniture or tools whatever so you can click on the categories and the map then will show you depending on where your, your, your location is, what is next to you. Working on this project, Claudia could see the growing demand among younger people for the vintage, reusable items that the likes of Johannes have been making for years. When we set up this uh, normal, this smart reuse park, it was always our intention to make it a cool and like trendy brand because this is how it works. So therefore, we put very much effort into social media work with Facebook and Instagram and a YouTube channel and continuously filled that with content, be it short movies of reuse agents in Tyrol or the linking of events, second-hand markets, etc. But it was TikTok where the project drew the most attention. Yeah, it's this showtime. <laughs> Through working with local sustainability influencer Anna Striegel, Normal spread the word of reuse to Anna's nearly 2 million online followers, taking the project's profile to new heights. For Jana Yukova, a reuse expert who advised the project, the digital aspect to Surface sets it apart from a lot of initiatives in the sector. What we saw is that the project was actually quite visionary because the idea of the smart reuse sparks is that you connect the different services of reuse and repair. You work with the existing operators and stakeholders. You create new activities and synergies and you just make these services more visible and more accessible to citizens. And we see that in Europe there is this tendency now to create these resource parks, uh, circular hubs. There are different names for it, but the idea is to bring these actors together and just bring these activities closer to people, make it more convenient, etc. So I think this is something what carries on after the end of the project. While the surface project itself has now finished, the normal platform lives on, connecting potential reusers, staging upcycling masterclasses, and hosting weekend markets. For Jana, the benefits, both to our pockets and the planet, are undeniable. Just imagine that you have a washing machine, which is maybe broken or you don't need it anymore. And what recycling is that you crush this machine, you dismantle it, you take the different fractions of materials like plastics and metal apart, and these parts will be assembled into a new machine. So even if you take this ideal scenario where we would recycle from product to product, it is a very demanding process. And then imagine that before you recycle, you take the machine, you have it repaired, and then someone else is using the machine as it is. So this 
is the huge difference between reuse and recycling and why reuse offers so much more environmental savings than recycling. And yet, despite the obvious benefits reuse has over recycling, there are several things holding back the growth of the sector, not least the problem of regulation again. For example, Johannes says that getting things back once they've been thrown away isn't all that easy. One of the biggest issues with the reused items that are thrown already to the waste is the fact that if a person brings his waste to this facility, the moment he enters the facility, it's owned by the waste associations. So the owner got no possibility to decide, okay, it goes there or there or there, it will be reused. The owner is now the waste facilities and they have to take care that this product is treated like waste. So the biggest issue is to get this yeah, still quite good reusable item out of this waste stream again. For Kate Rayworth, this is part of the broader challenge of reorienting our economies. It requires cooperation from all actors in a society. It's clear that members of community, civil society, neighbourhoods are beginning to make this happen and really desire to make this happen. But it, there's no way that this can be driven by the community alone. The state has an absolutely key role that nobody else can play, which is putting in place the vision and the regulation that makes this the way things are going. And putting in place this kind of regulation gives that clear message. It invites the innovators. I profoundly believe that boundaries unleash our creativity. And the boundaries of regulation tell you what is going to be permitted and not permitted within a decade. That unleashes the creativity of the circular economy. It tells innovators, come here. We are ready to work with you. We are creating economic space for you to evolve in, to you, for you to become the norm of business. These economic benefits are something Jana has witnessed across the network of partners she advises on reuse. We have done a research or analysed our research from the past few years about job creation in reuse and we have found out that our members create between 40 and 100 jobs on average per 1,000 tons of materials created. And this is much more than the jobs that would be created in landfill or incineration, let's say, and even recycling. Jana says that the EU's commitment to a circular economy action plan is a crucial step forward, but that more needs to be done to make sure it is successfully implemented across the continent and in all member states. What is still lacking is some, some strong framework for these activities, which would make sure that they will happen everywhere and not just in the regions or countries which are more developed in this in this direction because now it's something what happens if there are operators working in that field there are different levels of how they are supported or not or how their activities are maybe even restricted by certain uh, frameworks so we think that Europe really needs this, this framework to, to put some common objectives into reuse and uh, make sure that at local level the public authorities have to deal with reuse and they have to make sure that citizens have the opportunity to collect reused items, to reuse them locally, etc. Despite these challenges, Johannes is positive about the future of reuse. I had a discussion with the Waste Association CEO and he was telling that he thinks in 10 years 
there will be no more waste associations because there's so many startups and so many ways of treat waste differently and get the resources out of it again. So I see a big change coming in, in the new generations and um, that makes me happy and makes me really optimistic for the future. This is Europe. This is Europe. The podcast from the Interreg team telling the stories of cooperation across borders and within communities. Well, thank you to Johannes, Claudia and Jana for sharing the pioneering work of Surface and the Normal platform. Before we finish, though, a final word from Kate Rayworth about what we can all do to be a little less linear and a little more circular in our daily lives. The economy is shaped daily by every person's actions. So actually, take a look at yourself, because we're all economists if we recognise that. In the way that we live, the choices that we each make, how we shop, how we eat, what we think of as a decent meal, what we think of as a good holiday destination and how we think we're going to get there, how we save our money if we have savings, how we invest and divest and protest and vote and volunteer, what work we dedicate our lives to and think it deserves our life energy, how we speak up, whether we're a student in the classroom or a teacher teaching, whether we're the latest employee or the CEO of a company, how we raise our hand and say, yeah, but isn't it time to transform in all of these ways, each one of us helps to transform that front edge of the economy and through all those movements, it builds a critical mass, it builds critical connections that makes this change happen. Now for our sixth and final episode of this season, of This Is Europe. We're taking a journey around Central Europe to hear how many of the continent's citizens are now travelling in different and more sustainable ways. From the Austrian mayor encouraging his town to go car-free to a groundbreaking car-sharing platform. That story is from the Green Vanguard, all coming up in the next episode of This Is Europe. Thank you for listening. I've been your host, Shahid Abari. The producer was Max Bauer. This was a Tempo and Talker production for Interact. Thank you.